morning. Good to, good to see you. Welcome. Um, so that's quite loud. Th- those of you who've been here for uh, this, this little series of sermons we're doing uh, over these few months uh, will know that we are, um, it's called Death by Love, how the cross changes our lives. And um, we are kind of using case studies each week um, of, of a situation and, and a person. And I thought I'd just clarify with those case studies, um, they are not true stories. So it isn't that someone in the church has told me their story and I kind of just put another name on it and then I'm kind of telling it here uh, each week from the front. Um, but they are stories that are true to life. And so they do echo with stories that I know we have in this church and in people's lives. And um, as I guess I've been kind of preparing these and thinking them through, been very much seeking uh, the guidance of God's Spirit that he would shape and form those stories and what is said about them so that it is powerful in our lives. And um, someone said to me, they felt that certainly uh, in, in one or two moments, they felt there'd been uh, a sense of the prophetic in that, by which I think they mean that God has really spoken in a present moment into people's lives through those. And what I want to say is, if that is you at any point in these talks, if that is you today, and it just seems like, by coincidence maybe, but it is, the, the, the Spirit is somehow speaking in, 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 a, in a clear moment into your heart and into your life, I would encourage you to respond to that, not to ignore that or to park it, and to respond um, in whatever ways are, are appropriate, but to uh, seek to hear what God has to say and to do. Um, so, I say that today because I think it's just helpful in, in, in the sweep of the series. We're, st- we're going to be using case studies. Uh, and today's case study, um, we're gonna, I'm going to pray and read the Bible, but so we know what's coming. It's, it's a situation of abuse in someone's life. And that might be something that will connect with people uh, in, in meaningful ways. And I encourage you to be, to be ready to receive what God has, has to say through that. So can I pray for us, and then we will read the Bible, and, uh, and we will explore that. Lord, I, I thank you and praise you that Jesus hasn't just come, or hasn't even come for people who, whose life are good and fine and have got it together and they're clean and are okay. But he has come for those who are dirty and broken and sinful and confused and, and hurt and, and carrying pain and brokenness. The cross of Christ comes to change real lives uh, that we experience and we live. And Lord, I I rejoice in that. I thank you for that. And I I pray that we would really realize that and know that, that as we sit here today with all of our pain and brokenness and grief and suffering and heartache and sin and whatever else it is, that we would know that you meet us there and you come and you change us. Lord, particularly today, as we think about how how you purify and clean us, clean us up. Pray that even even what we read and what, what we hear in these coming moments would be an act of your purifying and cleansing on our souls, I pray. We ask and welcome you, Holy Spirit, to do that work in and through us by the power of your words. Amen. So let's let's read the Bible. We're in um, 
1 John chapter 1 today, which is quite near the back of the Bible. I will give you a page number. It is page 1,225 on these red Bibles. It would be really helpful um, if, if you do, do try and look that up and, and look at it, because this is God's Word, and this is the thing we can trust in and, and rely on. So please grab one of these red Bibles. They're there for you. Page 1,225. And we're just reading a very short section of a letter that was written by a guy called John to Christians. It's 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 to 9. 1, 2, 2, 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We'll come back to that later on, actually, quite near the end. Let me introduce you uh, to Dean. Dean is a successful man. Uh, he has, uh, he's a successful man, but he hasn't come to terms with his past. He's deeply ashamed of his past. But it's not so much the stuff that he's done, but more what has been done to him. Because recently, Dean has come to realize that he was abused as a child. He wasn't really aware what was going on at the time, but now as an adult, he looks back, he kind of, he realizes, uh, and, and he realizes what happened. This is Dean's story. His, his mum died of, uh, of, of cancer when he was six years old. And uh, two years later, he moved with his dad in with, um, with his dad's new girlfriend and her two daughters, who were much older than Dean. Now, his dad worked long hours away from home, and so Dean was in the home a lot with these women, and, um, and, and his dad's girlfriend didn't take much of a liking to Dean. She was often mean to him. She would do things like lock him in his bedroom. Sometimes she would basically starve him by giving him no or little food. She would shout at him when anything in the house went wrong, even when it wasn't his fault. He was always the fall guy. And over time, she became more abusive and aggressive and was even physically violent towards him. Never enough to leave bruises or marks, but enough to intimidate him and and scare him as a young boy. But worse still, one of these elder daughters in the home kind of took to comforting Dean when he was upset. But she had her own messy story. And so over time, their relationship became sexual. Dean was only nine years old and she was 16. And yet she persuaded and manipulated him to do different things that he did not want to do until it became normal in their relationship. As a little boy, Dean's innocence was gone and his relationships with women basically destroyed. Now, Dean did not speak to his dad about this because he was embarrassed and he was ashamed as a young boy and he was scared of what would happen if he did. And to be honest, when his dad was around, they were always nice to him and everything seemed kind of happy families. 
When he was 16, Dean moved out as soon as he could. He left town and he got away. He just wanted to escape. And he rarely sees his dad and he avoids seeing those women at all costs. And he moved out determined to make a success of his life. He got a job. He got a flat. His life moved on. And over the years, he even had relationships with a few different women as girlfriends. Now, in his mid-twenties, Dean became a Christian. His friend invited him to church. He heard about Jesus, and he trusted in him. And he gets that Jesus has died to forgive his sins, and he's, he loves that. That excites him. But he's now starting to see how impacted he is by that past that he kind of carries with him. He realizes he hasn't really been able to move on from it. He feels like he's ruined by his experiences. He feels like he can't have any positive relationships with women. And he's seen the wreckage that that has caused in relationships he has had over time. Low trust with others, low vulnerability, and those relationships just kind of fizzling out because he wasn't able to emotionally engage. And now he's totally scared of the thought of ever having kids himself because he just thinks, well, like, what, what if it just kind of repeats this cycle of the things I've experienced? And so Dean feels like damaged goods. He says, I'm unclean, I'm defiled, I'm damaged. The question we're asking today is, what difference does the cross of Christ make for Dean? What difference does it make? And I guess the other question is, what about for you? What difference does it make? What's the biggest wrong that someone has committed against you? Some of us, it'll be like Dean, it'll be, it'll be situations of abuse. For some of us, it might be situations of unfaithfulness or, or of violence or, or other things. What impact does that have on you even today? How does it shape how you think about yourself? What does the cross of Christ say into that? I am unclean and defiled. Jesus is my expiation. That's our big kind of, uh, our big Bible word today is expiation. Uh, it's, it's, it's a word that probably, you know, I don't expect us to really know. We don't use it today, so we might not know what it means, but it's got quite a simple meaning. It's, and the meaning is this. By his death on the cross, Jesus removes our sin from us and also makes us pure by cleaning the stain of sin from our soul. Some of you remember last week we were looking at what the cross does with God and how God relates to us. This week we're seeing what it does with sin, with all that is wrong. And easy way to remember it is what it does with sin and its effects is ex, exit, takes it away, removes it. And you remember last week we saw that before Jesus, God's people had this thing called the Day of Atonement where God's people celebrated how, how they, as an impure and defiled people, could be one with a pure God. And there was this scapegoat we saw that takes away the sin. And they literally see it kind of carrying sin away from them. And then that sin offering goat that was sacrificed, and its blood was the blood of cleansing as it purified the place of meeting between people and God so, that, so the high priest could go and enter into God's presence. Now, all of that history, all of that 
ritual is pointing to the cross of Christ. It tells us something about it. And in the Bible, um, another letter that we have explains how, exactly how, um, how, it, how Jesus kind of fulfills that and brings it to completion. I've, I'm, I'm putting it on the, um, on the screen here so you can you follow along. It's in Hebrews chapter 9. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not part of this creation. He went to the heavenly place of meeting with God. And he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, the perfect sacrifice, so obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a hypha sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. All of that history, the Day of Atonement stuff, was just this kind of outward thing. It was, it was, it was just a sign or a pointer. The writer goes on, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences, cleanse us on the inside, from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. You see, this is what the cross of Christ does. It not only takes away our sin from us, but also cleans us up. Cleans up our souls. And, and um, as we explore this idea today, there's this kind of simple imagery that, that we're going we're gonna to use to explore this. And it comes from the Bible. It's the idea of clothing and clean and dirty clothing. And it's as if to come into God's presence, we have to, there's a dress code. You have to be clean and, and, and have the right clothing. A bit like if you go to meet the queen and you kind of know you have to dress up. I saw a picture just recently of a friend of mine who met the queen. He's normally like really scruffy. And there he is in his suit and, you know, picture of him talking to the queen. So it is with God. We have to have the right clothing in one sense to come into his presence but we just don't have the right outfit. Worse still, what we do have is dirty and torn. There's no chance of getting in. It's a picture of our, of our moral state. There's a, this, this guy called Zechariah, who was like a spokesman for God at one point. He had this vision that he wrote down for us. And his vision is of Joshua, the high priest of God's people, the representative of, of the people before God's. Uh, and, and there he is with an audience with God. So he stood before God. But Satan is there with him, taunting him uh, and mocking him as he stood before God. Because Joshua is not dressed for the occasion. He's rocked up in these filthy uh, and these torn and these dirty clothes. It's representing the moral state of God's people. They are dirty and unclean. And Satan's having this field day accusing him, look at you coming to God like this. As he loves to remind us of our dirt and our uncleanness. You see, Dean can relate to that, can't he? I guess we can relate to that in certain ways. We feel unclean and defiled. And for Dean, it's because of what happened to him. And I'm sure Satan loves to remind him of it. 
You see, what we see in expiation is Jesus has done something greater and something more lasting. His death on the cross removes sin and cleans us up, cleanses our souls. And what I want to do is, is to explore how that, how that works, how he does that and what difference that makes. And so the, the first thing really to see is this, is that sin stains. There's a completely right and legitimate sense in which Dean feels unclean and defiled because that's what sin does. That's how the Bible describes it. And often we think of our own sin, which is true and right. Jesus says uh, in Mark 7, he says, it's what comes out of the heart of people that defiles them. But here's the thing. It's also the actions of others can affect us and can stain us. See, we live in a world that has fallen far from God. It's fallen far from his plans and his purposes. It's a world of much sin. And so if you like, we can't live in this world and stay clean. There's just dirt everywhere. We're never to be stained by the actions of others. And sin contaminates everything that it touches. So even when we've done nothing wrong, like in situations of abuse, someone is a victim, done nothing wrong, yet their soul can still be defiled. We, we see it in some, some stories in the Bible. There's a story of a woman called Dinah in, in Genesis 34. She's a, the daughter of Jacob, who's the father of Israel. And we read the story that she's in a foreign land and she's vulnerable. And there's a powerful man there, a political ruler, who takes advantage of her and rapes her. She's an innocent victim. She's abused. And yet as the stories we retold, we read that she has been defiled by that abuse. She's been spoiled or, or marred or damaged by it. Another story is, is of a woman called Tamar. It's in 2 Samuel 13. This is a heartbreaking story. Picks up the, this, this clothing imagery again. She's, she's the daughter of King David. And so she, um, as a young woman, a young daughter of the king, a young virgin, she wears this ornate robe that is fitting for this pure and beautiful princess, daughter of the king. But her brother rapes her and turns on her and hates her and sends her away. And so we read that she becomes a desolate woman and she puts ashes on her head she tears her ornate robes. And that's just kind of depicting the state of her soul and what's happened to her. And she asks in desperation this, this kind of haunting question. She says, where could I get rid of my disgrace? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? You see, these women like Dean are victims of sinful abuse by others. They're not responsible for the wrong, and yet they are wounded and they are scarred by it. Now often, an emotional response to, to this sense of defilement from, from sin like that is, is shame. So it, it, it kind of goes like this. Um, the, the sin happens, and that, that, that's kind of a sense of defilement on, on our soul, and that leads to shame. Even though someone is, is, is a victim of abuse, like Dean, it's not his fault what's happened to him. Others have inflicted on him. Shame can lead someone to blame themselves, 
can believe someone to believe that they are worthless because they've been treated as worthless. It can be confusing because they can feel guilt for their part in, in certain ways and, and feel really confused and guilty about maybe if there was some pleasure in it for them in, in, in some ways. And, and, and it's, shame can kind of lead to all sorts of confusing things. Nearly always what it leads to is fear. The fear of what others think of me or what others would think of me if only they knew how broken and defiled I am, how they would reject me. And so often a response to that is to basically kind of airbrush our lives and present this kind of photoshopped version of ourselves, how we wish our life was, how we wish we were. And so essentially it's kind of hiding and covering up and presenting something else, feeling more isolated and alone because our biggest fear is being exposed and found out dirty. And most of all in, in, in there is a hiding from God, I think. Because that's kind of what we do when we realize we're not pure, we, we, we hide from God. And I think that's the way things go. And I think it's helpful to see that, not, not to bring extra shame if, 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 we're kind of, if that's where we're at or that's what we're experiencing in some way. But to see how Jesus actually addresses all of that for us, how gracious and kind he is in that, you see, sin stains uh, and it shames and it separates. That's what it does. And often it's not our fault. It's due to the actions of others. And, and what we want to say is that is not okay. It's not just something to be put up with or something to get over or just to move on from or to forget about. It is terrible and it is evil uh, and it is to be grieved and mourned over. Those stories are included. They're not pretty reading in the Bible. You can look at them if, if, if you wish to. But they're included to show us and reassure us that God sees and God knows and God cares and God weeps. Because often this stuff has happened away from other people seeing and knowing by the nature of it. But God knows. And ultimately he acts for the abused, and those who are sinned against. Yes, each of us, every one of us in some ways, are stained and are defiled by sin. But all hope is not lost. Think of it like this. If someone's, if someone's acted in a way to put you in that place, someone else has done that to you, and someone else can come and take you out of that place and get you out. And this is the good news. The good news is that Jesus loves. Jesus accepts. Jesus seeks out the broken, the impure, the shamed, the defiled. Those are exactly who he seeks after. And he comes to deal with our sin. He comes to deal with our shame. He comes to purify us, to make us new, to make us whole. He comes to restore what was taken. So Tamar asked that question. She lived about a thousand years before Jesus. Where can I get rid of my disgrace? Terrible question. But in Jesus, we have a great answer. Here you can come. Here you can come and get rid of your disgrace. Here it can be taken from you.
Because sin stains. It sounds cheesy, it's not going to be cheesy, but Jesus cleans. It's simple, but it's profound. Jesus cleans. See, he deals with our sin and our shame and our separation from God. He deals with our shame by taking shame on himself. See, when we're sinned against, there's scars and there's injuries that are, if you like, afflicted on our soul. And we carry those. Well, in his death on the cross, Jesus takes those scars and those injuries and those wounds from sin on himself. He doesn't just bear our sin, but he bears the whole curse of sin, including our shame and our defilement. And it's not just that he kind of, thinking of that clothing analogy, it's not just he takes on this kind of, wears this dirty outfit for us. No, but he wears the scarring of sin in his own body as his flesh is torn and pierced. His body is marked up by sin. It's what a guy called Peter writes of Jesus' friends. He says this about his cross. Jesus, he himself, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Listen to this. By his wounds, you have been healed. He was wounded, and we are healed. See, on the cross, Jesus clothed himself in shame and in scars and in the pain and the dirt and the defilement of sin so that we are healed and made whole and made well. Takes that shame. And that's because the death of Jesus is, if you like, a complete picture of shame. He's publicly humiliated to the highest order. He is rejected by everyone, his friends and his enemies. He's abused, he's violated, he's attacked. He's mocked with nobody to defend him. He is the truly innocent victim. He's isolated and alone. He goes outside the city to die, which is showing his rejection by society, but also his rejection by God, who lives in the temple in in the middle of the city. He is naked. In the Bible story, that's connected with a sense of shame. He he dies by crucifixion. The Romans uh, refer to that as, as being condemned to the death of a beast. Here's, here's a biblical description of Jesus' death. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. He deals with our shame, and he also deals with the stain of sin upon our soul by his perfect sacrifice. Did you see that in in, in 1 John? Do have a look at um, page 1225. Scan quickly there to to, to, um, just next to the 7 and and the bold 9. John writes that Jesus' blood purifies us from all sin and all unrighteousness. It's like his blood is just like the most perfect and pure detergent that just can, can wipe away any stain. 
however defiled we feel, however unclean or dirty, Jesus' blood can wash you clean. In fact, if you put your faith in him, he has washed you clean. And so to Dean, we can say, in fact, Dean, you are clean and pure. You're not unclean and defiled. You are clean and pure. Remember Joshua before God in the dirty clothes, Satan accusing him, standing there. Joshua's kind of speechless. Satan feels like he's winning big time. Look at this. This is, this is your kind of the perfect representative of God's people. And it's easy, isn't it? Where Satan comes with those lies, it's easy to believe them. But you know what God does? He shuts Satan right up. He says, Satan, no. And he takes off Joshua's dirty clothes. And instead he's given these fine, these beautiful, these clean garments. It's the complete reversal of what happens with Tamar. He goes somewhere in a beautiful, ornate robe of a, of a daughter of the king and ends up in tatters and in ashes. Or Joshua comes back from the ashes and has the beautiful, fine garments. And this is the message, see, I have taken away your sin. And the promise goes on in Zechariah to say this, that in a single day, God says, he will remove sin when he opens up a fountain to cleanse people from all sin and all impurity. That fountain, that day, that it was opened up is the cross of Christ. That is where the sacrifice of the Son of God was offered and his blood was poured out. If you're a Christian, that is where your soul is washed clean. It's where you're purified. See that clothing imagery? It's as if we've been given that new outfit that now meets the dress code. And so we're now welcome to be with God. The problem of our separation, therefore, is also dealt with. Our shame and the stain and other separation. In Hebrews it says this, that we can draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. The way is now open. We can come in. So that is how Jesus cleans us. What I want to finish by saying, and this is where we very much kind of come back to to our reading in 1 John 1, is two differences that makes. Two differences that makes for Dean, where he feels unclean and defiled, and for us as well, when others have sinned against us. And the first one is this, is that we can stop hiding. See, the imagery that John uses in this little thing we read is of light and darkness. It's a visual imagery of purity and impurity. And John says there is no darkness in God, none at all. He is pure and perfect. But sin confines us to a life in darkness, stained and shamed and separated. And so John says that's a problem because we can't claim to be friends with God, to be one with God and carry on walking in darkness. The invitation, he says, is to come and walk in the light. If you're anything like me, at first that scares you. Walk in the light, is that calling me to then become perfect like God in in a way that I can't attain and I can't do? 
it's kind of like I've got to sort my outfit on myself and make myself clean enough. Well, no, that isn't what John means if we, if we pay attention to what he's saying. No, walking in the light is walking through life close enough to God that his pure light shines into our darkness. And it exposes us, shows us up, a stained show in the light. But it means that we confess our sins. It means we're not those who claim to be without sin or, 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 or claim to be affected by sin. We recognize both the sins we commit, but we also recognize how dark our souls have become as we are stained and dirtied by living in a fallen world. And we can do that with God because we don't need to fear being exposed. Because John says we're not going to be rejected. He is faithful and just. He'll forgive us our sins. And he will purify us. So we can do that with God. Our scars and our pain do not need to have the final say in our life. But we can bring these things into the light and we can find grace and we find healing in Jesus to help us in our time of need. And also, as part of that, we find help in other Christians. Because it means that we know to expect one another to be stained. We know one another, expect one another to carry some sense of shame. We know that the cross of Christ needs to go to work on our souls. So actually, in the cross, together, we're freed to help one another, to show grace, to find healing and hope. This is the kind of stuff that we do talk through together at this church. We talk, we pray, we share tears, we share resources, we read books, we make referrals to people who can help when that is necessary. Now, if this is your story, if this story connects with you, and until this point in your life, you haven't talked it through, it stayed in the darkness, if you like, then let me encourage you, please, today, why not speak to someone, a friend here that you most trust, or, or, or whatever, and bring this stuff into light, and then together we can search for healing, for grace, from Jesus in it. So we can stop hiding. The second one is this. We can be sure that we are pure. We saw that, didn't we, in verses 7 and 9. Not only does Jesus forgive us our sins... But his blood purifies us, makes us pure from all sin and all unrighteousness. And this is what God wants us to know, however deep, however wide sin is and its effects are in our lives, however wide it has spread and however deep it goes, the cross of Christ goes deeper and wider to remove it from us and to cleanse it and to cleanse us from it. You see, the shame of these things cuts so deep into us and it causes us to define ourselves in these terrible ways by our experiences and the abuse and the wrongs done against us. And Satan's always going to whisper in our ears the half-truths that will prop that up, that sin stains and it shames and it separates and, and that is who we are and that we will not be accepted and we're, we're dirty and disgusting and defiled and broken and people can't accept us. 
And we can't bring this stuff into the light because we will be turned away. And he will keep showing us again and again how dirty we are and whispering it into our ears. And it is half-truths all of the time. In actual fact, that makes them lies that must be fought with the truth of Jesus. Because yes, it's who we were. Yes, it's who we were. But 1 Corinthians promises that we have now been washed. We have now been sanctified. That's made pure, made perfect. We've now been justified. We're in God's favor by Jesus and the work of the Spirit. See, the cross of Christ gives, gives to Christians a gift, which is an identity, a new identity, a newer and better identity that we are pure, that we are cleaned up, that we are perfected, like Joshua, from dirty and torn rags to fine and beautiful clothes that are entirely appropriate for children of the king of the universe. That is our identity. We want to believe that. We want to live that. We want to know that's true. We want to be confident of that. And that leads to this beautiful future. This beautiful future that I want us to, to finish thinking about for Christians where we are forever clothed in fine clothes. Clothes that are bright and clean and beautiful and radiant, representing our moral state. It's in the, in the book of Revelation towards the end of the Bible, this vision of the end of time when Jesus returns. I'm just going to read this uh, to close. Of all God's people, this is what John, who kind of has this vision, sees and hears. I heard what sounded like a great multitude like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. At this, I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. Let's pray. God, we worship you and we thank you and we praise you. For as dirty and as broken and as beaten up and as defiled we are and we have been by both our sins and the sins of others against us. You have washed, you have cleansed, you have purified. That's who we were, it is no longer who we are. We are now spotless and radiant and clean and made whole and renewed in Christ and by his sacrifice for us, by his blood. We thank you. Help us to know that is true. Help us to believe it and help us to experience even today the, the healing power of that in our life, in those dark corners of our life. We pray.
Lord, so that we might, we might have joy, we might have hope, we might have life to the full. And you might have all the glory and the worship. Amen.